In John chapter 10, Jesus compares himself and his followers to a shepherd and to a flock of sheep. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who, do, uh, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. So then Jesus said to them, Again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now get this right here. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It is, a, is an abundant life. Jesus said, I am come not only that they may have life, but they may have an abundant life, a good life. You don't want your kids to grow up and just be, just have a job, make money. You want them to have a very good life. And that's what Jesus wants for us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 8, Paul talked to Timothy about the promises that have not only a promise of the life to come, not only will the things here get us into heaven, but they'll make our life right now better. Jesus didn't want us, although it happens to some Christians that are persecuted or live in poverty or something, Jesus didn't want us to have a miserable life here and then have a good life there. He wants us to have a good life in heaven, but he also wants us to have a good life here. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is an abundant life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. Another time when uh, he was condemned for hanging around with sinners, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. You see, he explained that the, the healthy don't need a physician. The sick need a physician. And so that's why we call Jesus the great physician. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 11, I think I talked about this in an application, but you know, some things just, just jump out at you repeatedly. You're driving down the road and daydreaming, you hear something on the radio, you hear someone talking, and sometimes the same messages just jump out at you. But in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 11, remember in the Old Testament you had the Jews that were in Egypt? God led them out. He gave them the land of Israel, and they were his own special people. Everyone else was a Gentile. You were either a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, or you were a Gentile. That means you and I are Gentiles. And so Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus that, of course, is going to have Jew and Gentiles both. But especially in Ephesus, I think this was in Greece, so there have been a, a very few Jews and mostly Gentiles. Paul reminds them, and this goes for us too, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, skipping down to verse 12, that at that time 
you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. And we can be very thankful for that. And although we don't live back 2,000 years ago when, the, when God was dealing just with the Jews and then the church came into existence, now all of a sudden the Gentiles could come in. You know, we've grown up with that, Gentiles being part of the church. But we can think back to a time when we weren't Christians or when we had the choice and we made the right choice. And we can be thankful that now in Christ Jesus we have been made near by the blood of Christ. And, of course, we're going to celebrate that in a little while. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Some of us were these things and we were lost, but not anymore. Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. I have come that they might have an abundant life. And it was this way from the beginning. If you got a Bible, turn to Deut- Deuteronomy. Chapter 28. This is just before the, the Jews have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and it's getting time for them to go into the promised land. This is Moses talking here. He's going to die shortly, and then Joshua is going to take over. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Beginning in verse 1, maybe your Bible's got uh, uh, the little headings that tell what the chapter is about. Mine says, blessings on obedience. And we read in verse 1, he says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And then he goes on and he tells them how he's going to bless them and bless them and bless them, blessing upon blessing. But then you get down to verse 15 and the topic changes. Now we're talking about curses of disobedience. In my Bible, it's all this page, all the next page, well into the next page. God says, if you don't obey me, I'm going to bring curses after curse after curse after curse upon you and upon your children, if you choose not to obey me. And skipping over to Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verse 15, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. We have a choice. You go to buy a new car, the salesman says, Do you want it in red or do you want it in blue? You've got a choice. In verse 19, he says, Moses says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, 
blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But as you see here, like they had a choice then, we've got a choice also. And it's up to us to choose life just because it's there doesn't mean that we get it. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life. God says, choose life. And we see all around us people that are making the wrong choices. God wants what's best for us. In Ephesians chapter 6, the chapter talks about children and mothers and fathers. Verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now he's going to quote one of the Ten Commandments. He says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. He says the reason that kids need to obey their parents is that so it will be good for them, and they may live a long time. If you pick up the paper or uh, read the news on the internet, or listen to the radio, just almost every day you can hear about someone dying, someone getting thrown in prison, someone having a car wreck and being paralyzed from the neck down because they didn't listen to their parents, and they went out and they got drunk, they did drugs, they got mad and they killed somebody, they did something that their parents said, don't do this, and now things are not well with them. And we can look at our own lives and maybe we're not sitting in prison, maybe we're not dead, but we can look at things that we've done that our parents said, don't do this, and we wouldn't listen and we did it anyway, and we brought a lot of heartache on us. That's not what God wants. Sometimes a uh, guy's driving, he's high on drugs and driving 100 miles an hour down the road, he runs into a telephone pole and kills himself and somebody says, oh, that was God's will. That was not God's will. That's the point I'm trying to get across. People say, oh, that's God's will. Whatever is meant to be is going to be. That is not true. God said, choose life. And when someone does not choose life, that's not God's will. In Ezekiel, God says, do I have any pleasure in the death of the unrighteous? The answer is no. The Lord, is not, the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. And yet people all around us are doing that. Why? Because they didn't choose life. You know, non-Christians want to convince us that Christianity is too restrictive and it's no fun. Especially when you've lived at home all your life under your, with your parents and your parents say, no, you can't stay out late, you can't drink this, you can't do that. And all of a sudden someone turns 18 and they go to college and now they've got some choices they can make. And their friend says, hey, try this. Let's go do this. Let's stay up late and do this. And there again, you read in the paper about people getting killed, people getting thrown in prison, people getting pregnant when they're not married. Uh, Non-Christians want to convince us that Christianity is too restrictive, but Jesus says, my yoke is easy. You see, you're going to be believing something. You're going to be following something or someone. And just like Moses says, I set before you today a choice, 
Jesus sets before us a choice. But Jesus tells us, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Larry was telling me about someone in church, uh, just before church, someone that used to go to church in Lubbock, and then he, this happened right after we left, so I don't remember meeting the guy. But he used to go to church there at 78th University, and then he left his wife and kids and got hooked up with a 17-year-old, and, and they went on a crime spree, a 10-day crime spree through several states, and they finally got caught. And Larry told me he just finished his, and this was back in 96, 97, he just finished his sentence in Texas, and now he's going to Arizona to serve his sentence there. He won't get out until he's in his 50s. That doesn't sound like a very easy yoke or a light burden. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. You know, Zig Ziglar says, the train runs fastest when it stays on the tracks. Remember when the holidays come up, and now all of a sudden you don't have to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning, and and you stay up late, maybe New Year's Eve, and you stay up late and overeat and you can just do it and, and you get to bed about one or two or three in the morning and you wake up, you know, the sun comes in through the window at uh, you know, seven thirty or eight and you wake up. You just feel miserable the next day. Why? Because you kinda got off your schedule. You overdid things. You did stuff that while you know you shouldn't have, it really wasn't that bad. But now you're paying the consequences for it. The train runs fastest when it stays on the track. And that's just New Year's Eve when we eat a little too much, stay up too late, and nothing bad happens. But when we choose sin and wreck our lives, our life does not get easier. It's worse. How happy is the man or the woman that has wrecked their lives because they got on drugs or uh, got caught stealing from their company and got fired and lost their job, lost their house. Maybe they lose their husband or wife. How happy is that person? Jesus says, my yoke is easy. First John chapter 5 and verse 3 says, his commandments are not burdensome. Like I said, Christians want to tell us, oh, Christianity is so restrictive. Christians can't have any fun. He says, his commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. But we also go back now to John chapter 10 where he's talking about the sheep and the good shepherd. What did he say about the thief? Why does the thief come? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan did everything he could to make Job's life miserable. He had all his ten kids killed. He lost millions of dollars in, in his flocks. And then he lost his health. And he, to a certain point, lost his wife. She said, she said, why do you retain your integrity? Curse God and die. There was Job sitting there all by himself. He had sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He was sitting there all by himself. <laughs> Satan did everything he could to destroy Job. But we know the story that he didn't. Job retained his integrity and God blessed him more afterwards than before. But in the same way that Satan wanted to destroy Job, Satan wants to destroy you. And it doesn't matter how good or bad your life is right now. Satan is looking for the opportunity to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, 
to destroy your health, to get you fired from your job, to get you thrown in jail, even if possible, to kill you. One of the most interesting stories, I think, one of the most well-written stories is found in Proverbs uh, chapter 7. And it reminds me of a commercial you would see on TV or a show you would see on primetime TV. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6. He tells a story, and he tells it so well, I can just picture myself being in a building and looking out and see this story unfold before me. Proverbs 7 and verse 6, he says, For at the window of my house, I, I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near the corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him, and with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. Times she was in outside, times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face, she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him, and he will come on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would take his life. Therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. He tells the story of a simple young man that, that saw a prostitute, that looked uh, attractive, and he just fell for her like an ox to the slaughter. And that's the way Satan paints sin every day. He doesn't paint it as sin. He doesn't say, you take this, and it'll destroy your life. He says, you take this, and it'll make you feel good. He says, he doesn't say, come on, let me destroy your life. He says, come on, let's have fun. And it doesn't matter what sin it is, you could kind of substitute it into this story, and Satan's going to make it look good. Just like that young guy from in Lubbock, the Christian in Lubbock, I was talking about ran away with a 17-year-old. I don't know what happened, but I bet you something about the situation looked fun. You think he's having fun now? I don't think so. Satan wants to destroy your life. He's not happy that you have a happy marriage. You know, Jesus came to save us, and he came that we might have an abundant life, but the choice is still ours. I think one of the most neglected verses in the Bible is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8.
He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, you're not going to trick God. You're not going to make God look like a fool. He knows what he's talking about. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And we all heard this verse a lot, but do we really stop and think about it? We reap what we sow. Another way of saying this is you pick up one end of the stick, you pick up the other end too. What we want to do is we want to do what we want to do but not get the consequences that go along with it. As a matter of fact, when we do something stupid out on the roads and the policeman stops us, who do we get mad at? Do we get mad at ourselves? No, we get mad at the police. What's he doing? Don't even be me, 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 me. Whose foot was on the accelerator? Wasn't the policeman. We reap what we saw. Now, that's just a simple thing that we're all probably guilty of. It's happened to us. But I'm talking about the more serious things. Drug use, adultery, extramarital sex, alcohol. They wreck people's lives. And we always want to blame someone else for it. Oh, my stupid boss, if he was any good, I don't know how they're going to get along without me. And we won't admit that we were a poor worker. The law of reaping and sowing can be a very gracious law. What I mean by that is when we do right, we can get way more good than what I think we deserve. I was talking to one of my pool customers and their farmers, and we got to talking about the huge, huge piece of tractor, piece of tractor, piece of machinery, tractor out there, a a combine, I think it was, and she was talking about how some of these things cost like $100,000. I said, $100,000? And they had a lot of stuff, too, not just this one. I said, that is a lot of money. She said, yes, but in a good year, you can pay for it in one year. Wow. (laughs) You can can go out and plant 1,000 acres and and pay $100,000 cash for this piece of machinery. The law of reaping and sowing can be a very, very gracious law. A sower went out to sow seed, and he reaped some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100 times more than what he planted. Wow. But it can also be very very cruel I heard someone a Christian say how many times do I have to pay for the same sin and unfortunately some sins you have to pay through the nose it's going to cost you an arm leg you will pay for years and years and years and you say that's not fair but it is you reap what you sow in the same way this farmer over here can make you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay cash for this equipment that would take us a lifetime to pay for. In the same way, when you sow wickedness, you can receive more misery than you ever thought possible. That is a very gracious law, but a very, very cruel law. That's why James says, be doers of the word, and not hearers only. Remember one time I used to work in maintenance in Lubbock. I worked at the hospital, University Medical Center, if you know where that is. And I remember one day I was in a doctor's office and I was repairing something in there. And the doctor was in the same office and he was looking over a patient's chart. And he said to the nurse, he shook his head, he said, why 
will people not do what they're supposed to do? He said, that is the million-dollar question. Here is a man, a doctor, and someone goes to him and says, Doctor, I've got this ache or this pain or, or whatever. And the doctor says, well, this is the problem. Here's what you need to do to fix the problem. And you go away and you don't do it. And your problem is not only do you still have the same problem, but now it gets worse. Maybe it turns into cancer. Now you've got a huge problem. And you go to this man that was able very simply to fix the problem and make your life better, and you refuse to do it. That doctor said, why will people not do what they need, what I tell them? And Jesus is sitting in heaven saying, why will people not do what I've told them? Charlie, I think I mentioned again, Charlie Tremendous Jones, he's driving in his car, and he says, oh, God, why will my children not listen to me? And God speaks to me in my heart, and he says, you better be glad they listen to you better than you listen to me. Why will people not listen to the man that's able to help them? Zig Ziglar says, or Zig says his mother told him when he was a kid, says, Zig, if you're in something, get in. If you're not, get out. Have you ever had a job that you just, you needed the job, but you didn't really like it, and you weren't putting forth, you know, all your effort, and, and uh, things just weren't going good, and you really didn't want to be there? but you didn't want to get out, and you didn't have a good job. And then maybe you finally either finally put your heart into it and you get promoted and you get a raise and things start going good, or you get out and you get something you are interested in. If you're a Christian, either get in or get out. We have problems when we're trying to ride the fence. We say, oh, I know I ought to be doing this, but I don't really want to. This is more fun. And we know what the Bible says, and but we just won't commit to it. And now we've got all these problems in our life. And we say, why am I so miserable? If you're in something, get in. Jesus talked in Revelation about, he said, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. He said, I wish you were hot or cold. How are you going to convert someone that's lukewarm? Oh, my life is miserable. I've got so much heartache. My marriage is bad. My kids are bad. Say, so, you know what you need to do? You need to be a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. <laughs> What are you going to tell them now? If someone's not a Christian, you can say, here's the answer over here. Here's the solution to all your problems. They go, wow, I want that. But you got someone that's in the middle. Well, they, say, they think they're already a Christian, but they're not in. They're not committed. And so in spite of the fact that God and Jesus made all these promises, made all these sacrifices to give us an abundant life, an everlasting life, our lives are miserable. Why? Because we're straddling fence. If you're in something, get in. If you're not, get out. Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 13, talked about the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. They saw the miracles. They heard the teachings, but it just didn't soak in. They weren't in. They weren't committed. And if you're not going to sow the good stuff, you're not going to reap the good stuff. And we have a lot of Christians, and maybe all of us, you know, I don't know, that, that we come and we hear and we see maybe the Christians around us that are having good lives, 
but it just doesn't soak in. Hearing, they don't hear, and seeing, they don't see. It's not doing them any good. And what I want this morning is for us to realize that Jesus came so that we could have a really good life. He wanted to save us from a lot of heartache and a lot of misery. And we look around, like I said, in the newspapers or whatever, and we see people that are really, really miserable. And Jesus says, I don't want that for you. But then sometimes we look at our own lives and something is missing. Something's not right. Don't forget about the law of reaping and sowing. If you're out doing stupid things, what I, what I see on the, some about uh, stupid results or stupid actions or something like that. We're out doing stupid things and then wondering why our life is a mess. Jesus wants the best for us. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable of the Great Supper. Now when one, in verse 15, Luke 14 and verse 15, now when one of those who sat at the table with them heard these things, let's see. Okay, yeah, we're in the right spot. Uh, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. I remember someone telling about Merle Fielder. He and another guy went to, uh, I don't know if they were going to go hold a meeting or what, but they went, drove into this town. One of the church members owned a business, and so they stopped in at this business, and they sat around in the man's office, and they talked for a while, and got close to lunchtime, and finally the owner of the business told Merle and whoever was with him, said, well, let me take you out and buy you lunch. And Merle said, that's what I've been waiting to hear. <laughs> I like it. I like to go out to eat. I would not turn an opportunity to go out to eat. I would not turn that down. So he said to them, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But... They all, with one accord, began to make excuses. You invite me out to eat, I'm not turning you down unless I have to. Jesus said, all things are ready. Come to the feast. And there are people, and unfortunately Christians, that are making excuses and not taking the feast and not getting all the way in. If you're in... Get in. If you're not, get out. But I don't want you to get out. I want you to get in. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Let's stand and sing.